If you have a Bible this this morning, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. And I want you to go to chapter 28. Leave a marker there. Then I want you to flip over to the book of Isaiah in chapter 14. We're going to cover these in all, all the way then. Once you get all these marked, that way it will be easy for you. And then put another marker in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is tempted. I'm doing this series as the Lord has really just spoken to my heart. There's a lot of things that are going on that brought me to this point. And the enemy is there. He's alive and well. I'm talking about Lucifer. I'm talking about Satan. And I'm talking about the demonic realm. And some of you understand and know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, know your enemy. This morning we want to look at part two. And I want to give you a little bit of introduction as I did uh, last week. Nations, armies, generals, coaches, CEOs of huge corporations, etc., etc. They all have something in common. Right now, it's football season. And everybody, you know, you're either rooting for one of your high schools or you're rooting for your college and and then you have your pro teams and all this and all that. And I just, we just finished with baseball. And pray for me, my Dodgers lost. I'm sorry. But anyway, you have to have strategy. If you played any kind of sport, uh, you want to know there's films, uh, uh, there's game plans, and, and you know, you go at it. And the same thing with the enemy. I'm talking about the enemy for the Christian, for the body of Christ. And, and we need to know our enemy because he's alive and he's real and he's there. And I wanted to just share some stories real quick. Uh, recently, a lady in our chapel here, she comes, comes to me and she brings me her 12-year-old nephew. And she says he's having demon activity. I could see the boy. We were right here up in the front. And he was already just so scared. And I started to pray for him, started to share with him, and literally he melts into my chest. And here's this 12-year-old boy crying, and I'm hurting inside for him. And I prayed for him, I laid hands on him, I anointed him with oil, and I asked him, have you received Christ? He said no, and we prayed with him, and he received Christ. But you see, we opened the doors Mom was doing certain things. The family was doing certain things. And it's real. And so you open the door and here comes the enemy. And if you, the door is open even more, he's going to come harder. And he's relentless. He won't stop. And here's this 12-year-old. He just doesn't understand what's been happening, what's going on in his life. Back in Southern California, when I was a little boy, I was at my grandmother's house. I've told some of you this story. And there was a gentleman that used to come to the house. They called him Don Santos. He was called the saint. He would come and he had this big old black bag. I never forgot it. And he would wear a suit. And this man had a smell about him. Because he would use uh, incense and he would use uh, charcoals and he would use herbs and such. And We all called him... My grandmother says, I viene Don Santos, here comes the saint. Well, we called him the heebie-jeebie man. That's what we called him because he freaked us out. And so the best I could do, my cousins and I were looking through the window, and there's my mom, there's my grandma, and there's my aunt. And he's got this, you know, makeshift bowl, and he's got incense in there because there's a charcoal going. He's got some herbs in there. There's just all kinds of, you know, Smoke coming out, we could smell it. And then I got angry because he had these shrubs and he puts it over the fire inside and then he starts to hit my mom in the back. And, you know, now he wasn't hurting her, but this is my mom and you're hitting her in the back and she's got her hands up, she's praising God. And so you're having this mixture of religion and santeria, you have to be very careful. The demons are real out there. And we tried to go in, and my grandmother, she pushed us back. It's okay, it's okay. But it just freaks you out. And here's this little boy, 12 years old. My heart went out to him. And then I get another story from one of the guys here at the chapel, right where he lives. There's a neighbor next door that knows all about him, and it's interesting. 
They know you're believers. They know you're Christian. But something happened to her. This is here in Las Cruces. She hears a moaning and a groaning about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And her boyfriend, not her husband, of 18 years, he's not in the room. And she's saying, well, what's going on? She follows the sound. It's in the hallway. And here's this grotesque thing. It's all in black. And she got a hold of this guy. 200 pounder. Off the ground, about four feet. Up to the ceiling. And the best she could do is let go. And the demonic figure drops him. And she goes out the front door. The doors were locked. This is happening, church. It's real. And people don't understand. Now, we have to have a strategy. We have to have a plan. We have to have prayer. You don't just go and attack these things. Because the demons know who you are. Uh, we need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. You need to be prayed up. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to know your word. Because the demons are there. They're real. And the, the gentleman I'm talking about asked the woman... Do you know Christ? She says, no, you're not married. You need to get married. I hope and pray that uh, they come to the realization. Let me think about it. That's the best she could do. Well, I'll tell you what, the demons are going to keep coming. The door's been open. The reality is there. And so we have to understand our enemy. I want you to write this down. In James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. James says, is there any sick among you? Is there any suffering among you? Let them call upon the elders of the church and to come and lay hands on them and to pray with them, anointing them with oil, praying the prayer of faith. Now, this is for the sick. Oh, when the demons are coming, there's a sickness, there's a disease. They bring it upon you. And so you have to understand. Now, in times past here at the chapel, we've had to go... To, to various houses and we go pray because of the demon oppression. And so I don't just take anybody from the chapel. I make sure these guys are rooted and grounded. I make sure I'm rooted and grounded. I make sure I'm prayed up because the demons will know. We're going to get to the book of Acts where the sons of Sceva, remember? They tried desperately and the demon said, Paul we know, but you we don't know. And the demons jumped on them. The real church, you have to understand that. In Luke chapter 4, just mark it down, verses 40 and 41, Jesus healed uh, those who were demon-possessed. Let me read the two passages. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. Now you're saying, well, that's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. That's Jesus. He has the power. He has the authority. Didn't he say, greater works you will do? Didn't he say that you could cast out demons? Didn't he say that you have the authority and the power to pray for the sick? Listen to verse 41. And the demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, you are the Christ. Listen, they recognize who Christ is. They know who you are, the Christian. You are the Christ, the Christos, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ, the Anointed One, the Mashiach, the Savior of the world. They recognize, they know. And so I believe we're in the last days. He's running out of time. And they're going to go after you. They're relentless. Listen to this verse. In 1 John 3.8, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He's given us that authority. He's given us that power. Now, I don't go look for demons. And don't you be looking for demons. But the situation will come. You have to take the authority. You have to pray. You have to plead. Listen to this. The blood of Jesus Christ. When we get to Matthew chapter 4, three times Jesus was tempted. Three times he comes back with the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. There's power in God's word. There's power in pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. And so some of you were not here. I want to go back again 
and we want to look at Ezekiel in chapter 28, verses 11 through 19, the description of Lucifer himself, and then the fall of Lucifer. He's a created being. He was a cherubim. He had position uh, in heaven. But the five I wills of Lucifer, he said, I can, I can, I can. Basically, I will, I will, I will. And God says, no, you're not. He has a free will. Just as you and I have a free will. We want to dabble into sorcery, you have a free will. You want to, you know, mix religion uh, with Santeria, you have a free will. This is what they do in Haiti. This is what they do in South America. It happens right here in our own communities. And so I need to give you some background here. As I did last week, who is this Prince of Tyre? Or this king of Tyre that we're speaking about in Ezekiel 28 verses 11 through 19. Historically, it could have been King Hiram, which was a king at Tyre. And then followed by King Athabal, who followed him as king. Yet the description, listen to this, is very vivid. Theologians believe that Lucifer is this king of Tyre. As we read through the nine verses, scholars also say that chronologically and the circumstances best agree that it is Lucifer, it is Satan himself. Another thought that we gave last week is that this king of Tyre or the prince of Tyre represents a guardian angel there at Tyre over the city of Tyre. And if you know anything about gargoyles, and I've had the opportunity to go to, uh, to Europe, and it's very popular out there. And so in Europe, you'll see these beautiful buildings, some of the churches also, and up in the corners of the building outside, there's these grotesque figures, they're gargoyles, and they're there to protect. Now, the best way I could describe that, some of you have seen it here in our own community, or you go around the country here, and every now and then you'll see a, a wooded owl, and he's up in the corner, and he's supposed to scare away the birds. I know it works for some people, because my brother was here uh, a couple of years ago with his wife, and she says, turn around. And she didn't say, why? My brother turns around. I saw it, I saw it, stop, stop. And she got out of the car, and I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, it's that owl. And she's over there, it's an owl, it's an owl. And I said, oh Lord, send a bird, watch this bird just sit on top of it. And that's what they do once they know what it is. It's like the old scarecrow, right? You're trying to scare them off, but it doesn't always happen. And so now I hear that some of these owls are mechanical and they'll turn. I don't know. But imagine trusting a gargoyle. Trusting a gargoyle for your community. Trusting a gargoyle for your, your business, your building. What about your church? And you're supposed to ward off evil. This is what's going on. It's going on in the world. It's going on in our communities. And it's going on in some of the families. And I believe it's going to escalate. You're going to see more. And you need to be prayed up. You need to be into the word. You can't have, you know, one foot in the world, one foot in God. The demons know that. The demons know that. And so I want to go over this again just to understand because we're looking at part two. We need to know our enemy. Who is Lucifer? And I like the caption in my Bible. In Ezekiel 28, we begin in verse 11. It's a section up to verse 19. It says, lament, weep, mourn over the king of Tyre. Why? We'll get to it in just a minute. In verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel now. And he says, son of man, uh, take up a lamentation. This is the word to mourn, uh, lament, to cry for the king of Tyre. And say to him, thus saith the Lord God, you are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. I believe that Lucifer is an archangel. Lucifer is a created uh, being. He's in perfect, perfection of creation. And if we have archangels, we see two of them that are named. And one of them is Gabriel. He's a messenger. The other one is Michael. He's a combatant. He's a warrior. 
The third one, I believe, is Lucifer. And he's in charge of the music in heaven. So we're going to continue here. But I want you to see, what was the purpose? Because we're going to see that Lucifer was a cherubim. A cherubim, if you look at the mercy seat in the Old Testament that covered the Ark of the Covenant, there was two angels, one on each side of the top, called the lid. And they're pointing forward uh, with their, their wings. And so you see this. And they were placed for worship. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, God puts a cherubim at the gate and did not allow anybody back in with flaming swords. And so the reality of this cherubim. And so what is the purpose of the angels? What is the purpose of these archangels? We gave this to you last week. Number one, they were there to worship God. Secondly, they were there to obey God. And thirdly, they were there to serve God. Interesting trichotomy there. What are we called for? What is the purpose of being born? Why did I come into this world? Back in the 60s, we used to ask those questions. Why am I here? I didn't ask to be here. And everybody was searching. Uh, they said they were searching for love, but in the wrong places, right? We were created to worship God. Listen. Yes, we get married, we go to school, we go to college, you get your job, you get a business, but we were created to worship God. And I was also created not only to worship God, but to obey God. And so I go through His Word, and I'm called to obedience, just like the angels. And in the process of worshiping God, knowing God, and obeying God, I want to serve Him. I want to serve him. I thank God for our church. We have a lot of servants here. People that come to serve the Lord. And we come to worship the Lord. I praise God for our worship team. God has worked diligently in their hearts. And our worship, I just, I just, I get stoked by it. And we're supposed to come to worship the Lord. Notice verse 13. Again, I believe it's Lucifer. You were in Eden. You were in Eden, the garden of God. He's going back to Genesis chapter 3. Every precious stone was your covering. Now, if you're taking notes, these same stones were of the high priest that he wore in his breastplate back in Exodus chapter 28. The beauty. That's what's describing here. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald, with gold. And then his job, his ministry, his position in heaven, the workmanship of your timbrels, the workmanship of your timbrels, the workmanship of your pipes. And so you think of the, the symbols, and you think of the flutes and such. He was in charge of the music. It was prepared for you on the day that you were created. Lucifer, I believe, was in charge of the music in heaven. And those of you that are old enough, you understand music has a tremendous influence on us. I don't care who you are. You grew up in the 80s, influence of the 80s music. 70s, mine the 60s and 50s. And I mean, the influence is there. And I've shared so much. A song will go on and it takes you back. I can be right there in high school, and then you get mad because you remember what happens, and all this music gets a hold of you. The same thing with songs, as we worship the Lord. And sometimes when I go through my trials, I have to have worship of God. And so the beauty here, notice the description of, of Lucifer, uh, Satan himself. He was in charge of, of the worship in heaven, his beauty and creation. Notice he was upright. Wasn't cursed yet until uh, Genesis chapter 3. He's tall, he's handsome. He's Mr. GQ, as I shared. Look at verse 14. You were the anointed cherubim, or cherub, both words are synonymous, who covers, I establish you. Uh, you were in the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stone. These angels had access to God. These cherubims were important. 
I want you to think about it. It's not a dogma. I can't make a doctrine out of it. But I think we have the three archangels. We have Lucifer. We have Gabriel. We have Michael. And then you have the Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Was there a representation for each one? Could very well be. You had a position. You had a job. And yet he took advantage of it, didn't he? Notice verse 15. We'll get some more. You were perfect, complete in your ways from the day you were created until sin or iniquity was found in you. Now, after we're finished with Ezekiel 28, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 14. And what happened to Lucifer? Pride set in. Remember the scripture I gave you, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. When you look at the word haughty spirit, a lofty, arrogant pride. Guys, I'm talking to you because I can easily be a prideful man. You can be easily a prideful man or a prideful woman. Your wife says something and then you just, your pride sticks up. No. Be careful, guys. That's exactly what tore into uh, Lucifer. He just thought he was somebody. And our pride will take us down. Pride was his, his, his doom. When you look at it, when we get back to Isaiah 14. Look at verse 16 now. By the abundance of your trading. The word is merchandising in the Hebrew. It's also another translation that I found this week. Trafficking. That's something that's going on in our society today. You're trafficking. You became filled with violence within. And you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherubim. From the midst of the fiery stones on your own. Study Revelation chapter 12. There was a great battle between Michael and Lucifer. And finally, the victory... And we know that Lucifer was kicked out of heaven and a third of the angels followed him. That is the demonic warfare. This is what's going on today. Look at verse 17. Your heart, there's the issue. There's always the problem, even in man. Your heart was lifted up. That's that haughty spirit. Lifted up because of your beauty. He says you were corrupted. Your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Again, this beauty that he had just took over. And he thought he was somebody. I will cast you to the ground. I, I will lay you before kings. That they might gaze at you. Once we come to the born again experience. Once you come to saving grace filled with the spirit. You come to recognizing the enemy is nothing. Satan is nothing. The demons are nothing. The least to the great. I know saints that are uh, old in age and then they, they've been around for a while. They're prayer warriors. They know the enemy. And they're not afraid of the enemy because they know the scriptures. Once we realize Satan is a zero, that's it. Satan is nothing. But yet he's out there, isn't he? Look at verse 18. You defiled your sanctuaries. Listen to that. By the multitude of your iniquities, your sins, by the iniquity of your trading, again, the trafficking. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of, of all who saw you. Now we know that Satan is alive and well still. We know he was defeated at the cross at Calvary. But he knows he's running out of time. And he's going to work feverishly. He's out there. He's alive and well and we need to know that. Now the time will come after the seven years of tribulation. We know that Jesus will set up the millennial reign in Jerusalem. For 1,000 years, according to Revelation chapter 20, then finally the second death. But he will be loose for a season. And he will tempt the nations again. Again, I was hearing Scott teach that on, on Friday. And it doesn't make sense that you sit there and you see Christ for a 1,000 years. He's teaching you. It's all peace and tranquility. 
And the devil's released. And he tempts the nations again. But the Bible says he will be cast. And it's called in Revelation chapter 20, the second death. In other words, those that are in hell will be brought out of hell and then taken into the lake of fire. Lucifer, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all those that were burning in hell. Imagine thinking, maybe I'm getting a second chance, but now you're going into eternity of the lake of fire. Now, hell was never created for mankind. Hell was created for the fallen angels. Nobody in hell today can say, God, you put me here. No, our sins put us there. God makes every opportunity for us to repent. God makes every opportunity for us to come to the cross. Look at our United States of America. There's churches everywhere. There's Bibles everywhere. Isn't it amazing? Every year, the Bible is the highest bookseller. Some of you might have two or three Bibles. I have tons of them. Do we read them? Do we make application? Remember the old days? The big old Bible, you just have it on the, on the table. My mom had, you know, beautiful doily. And God forbid we would go, don't, don't, don't touch it. You know? I wanted to see the naked angels. You know? <laughs> I was a kid, remember that. Listen to verse 19. We come to the conclusion. All who knew you among the people are astonished. A big wow. Think about that. Uh, the word astonished here in the Hebrew, they were numb. They were stunned at Lucifer. You have become a horror and shall no more forever. The time will come. And we'll just sit there and it'll, it'll blow our mind. That's the guy? That's zero? That's nothing? That's the one that caused all the havoc? He was a created being. He was created for God's purpose. But he went on his rampage. He went on his own. I want you to mark this verse down. In 1 John, the epistle, in chapter 4, verse 4, you are of God, John says, little children. He calls his church the little children. And have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I'm in the world, you're in the world, but greater is he that is in you. I'm in the world, but I'm not part of the world. I don't do the things of the world, and yet sometimes I, I get trapped just like you. And we have to run just like Joseph ran in Genesis 39 when Potiphar's wife said, Lie with me. He ran naked. We need to run. Or the enemy is going to swallow you up. And so we see the position of Lucifer, the king of Tyre, the prince of Tyre. He's a created being, beautiful, upright. He had a purpose to worship God, to obey God, to serve God. The same purpose that we have. But we have a free will just as he has a free will. You don't want to worship, you don't have to. You don't want to obey, you don't have to. You don't want to serve, you don't have to. That's a free will. God's not going to force you. God will never force you. But it's all there for you. Now, let's see how he fell. Turn to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 21. Isaiah pins the fall of Lucifer. We're looking at know your enemy. We're looking at part two. In verse 12, he says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened uh, the nations? When we speak about the son of the morning, the Amplified calls him a light bringer, but I want you to understand, it's a false light bringer. We gave you these verses last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 through 15. Paul is warning the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, uh, if you can actually be called a carnal Christian, doesn't make sense to me. How can you be a carnal Christian? Either you're a Christian or you're not. But we see carnal Christians. And that's what they were called uh, at the Corinthian church. And so Paul spoke to them about false teachers, false doctrines, 
He spoke of them about demons and, and Satan, uh, angels of light. Right now, in the third world countries, we're getting a lot of reading. A lot of Christians are suffering greatly. We know that. Martyrdom is a norm in the third world countries. People are dying left and right. It's a miracle that Pastor Saeed is not dead. God has a purpose. God has a reason. It's a miracle because it's a big political thing. They now, not only is Pastor Saeed, but the three other Americans, they should have been dead. They've even transported them to a, a harder a prison. And they're still there. And they're still witnessing. And so we pray. But we're getting word in refugee camps. Muslims are coming to Christ. The light comes into their room, but it's Christ. And the Muslims know, they ask, who are you? Jesus of Nazareth. There's a testimony of one Muslim he knew. You're Jesus of Nazareth? Show me your nail prints. They expose the nail prints. They're coming to Christ. They're coming to salvation. But what's happening in the Western world, uh, we hear of people in the OR and they come out of their body and they're hovering and they see this light. And light takes them through a vortex and they go and they see all this beauty and such and there's always flowers, uh, little birds and little dogs. I mean, and then they sell books and people go, oh yeah. Not once do they talk about being born again. Not once do they talk about salvation. Be careful. Make sure that light is of the Lord. Make sure it's not demonic. And I give you this because, again, I'm going to give you one verse. In 2 Corinthians 11, I ask you to study verses 5 through 15. But in verse 14, Paul warns that Satan, that Lucifer, disguises himself as an angel of light. And so do his followers. People think, you know, oh yeah, I had this light come into my room. Make sure it's the right light. Make sure it's of the Lord and not of demons because they're out there, church. They're out there. Notice verse 13 now. And again, the, we come to this section. Uh, I want you to mark them if you have it in your Bible. Five eye wills of Lucifer. Pride was his demise. Pride was, pride was his fault or his fall. In verse 13, for you have said in your heart, where's the issue? Even in man, the issue is in the heart. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit uh, on the mount of the congregation of the farthest side of the north. Pride, church. He continues, verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. Isn't that exactly what the Antichrist is going to say? The Antichrist will declare himself to be God. Study 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Revelation chapter 17. The mother church during the time of the tribulation. I mean, the reality is there. Lucifer is a fake. And he's going to dupe because people don't know their word. People aren't born again of the Holy Spirit. People are not prayed up. The devil knows exactly what to do. And we need to understand. So here's the five I wills of Lucifer. We know that Lucifer fell. According to Revelation chapter 12, he took a, a third of the stars or a third of the angelic being and now we see it, history. We see the pride of men. We see the pride of women. And it's pride that most people will not come to Christ. Look at verse 15. You shall be brought down to Sheol, to Hades, to hell, to the lowest depths of the pit. Pride will bring you to the pit of hell. Pride will bring you down. A lot of us know historical figures. And we know some already their lifestyle, what it was. I'm thinking of the Kennedy boys. Jack Kennedy or John Kennedy. Very famous. My mom 
idolized him. I remember. And then Bobby, his brother, pride set in. We know that they were both having affairs with Marilyn Monroe. Pride with her. Look how the devil got both of them. Exactly. I read an article that Billy Graham went to see Marilyn Monroe two weeks before she died. Shared Christ with her. And she respected him. I mean, Billy Graham comes to see you. And he's seen a lot of presidents. He's seen a lot of, uh, you know, celebrities and such. Marilyn Monroe said, thank you. But I don't need your Jesus. Read the stories. Read the historical background, how she died. And so the enemy knows, and look at the Kennedys, how they died. What about Elvis Presley? We all know he was called the king. Look how he died. Michael Jackson, look what he did to himself. Wasn't happy. His life was cut short. Think about that. The devil does not play fair. I could go on and on and name names. I grew up with Jimi Hendrix. What happened to him? Janis Joplin, what happened to her? Mama Cass, what happened to her? The demons get in there, church. The demons get in there and then pride. I'm okay. I'm all, I'm all right. I will survive this thing. I need to go see a psychiatrist. I need to go to a rehab. And I'm not against that. But have you come to Christ? Have you come to Christ? Notice as we continue, look at verse 16. Those who see you, speaking about Lucifer again, will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth to tremble, who shook the kingdom? You'll come to the conclusion he's nothing. Pride is what brought him down. We're going to study this in the next couple of weeks in Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for mighty Babylon. The hanging gardens are still considered one of the seven wonders of the world. Magnificent building. He went in and he looked around. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Look what I have built. And we know what happened to him. Daniel warned him that he was struck with a disease. And I'll, I'll get to it next week, but it actually happens. Uh, you grow feathers. You, you grow long nails. You eat grass. Medically speaking, this happened. Seven years. I thank God at the end, King Nebuchadnezzar built mighty Babylon. He comes to God because of Daniel. And so the demons are there. They're real. And they want to destroy you. But pride will take you down. Verse 17, who made the worlds as a wilderness? This is the demonic warfare, what Satan has done, and destroyed its cities, and, and who did not open the house of the prisoner. Jesus said he had come to set the captives free. Satan does not come to set those in captivity free. He comes to bind them. He comes to lasso them and, and keep them in shackles. But Jesus comes. To set the captives free. Now, I was thinking about this word here. The world's as a wilderness. Look what's happened to that whole area of the Middle East. Now, Israel is beautiful. But judgment's coming to Israel too. But I want you to think of all the surrounding areas. Uh, the area which we call Babylon, Iraq, Baghdad, Syria. What's going on right now? According to Isaiah 17, Damascus will be destroyed. Afghanistan, all these places of desolation. And yet this is the area of the Garden of Eden. See what sin does? That's exactly what Lucifer has done. Look at verse 18. All the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory. We shared that last week. Everyone in his own house. We've all studied history. Past kings, emperors, presidents, pharaohs, monarchs. Czars, Caesars, past glory, all dead. Did they know Christ? I want you to study Matthew chapter 23. Jesus exhorting woes to the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. And when they came to uh, the sepulchers, 
where they would bury the dead. They would paint them, whitewash them, beautiful on the outside. What did Jesus say? But inside are dead man's bones. Inside are dead man's bones. Now, if we don't know Christ, you're just dead man's bones. Think about that now. Uh, look at verse 19. But uh, you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain. Uh, listen to the ludicrousy here. The description of the dead thrust through with a sword who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. It speaks of the dead without Christ. And yet people go through this whole ritual, rites, custom, tradition. And, you know, I, I love to watch funerals in New Orleans. I mean, they got the, the bands out there and the marching and the singing and the dancing. He's dead. He's dead. And I'm not taking away from that. We all have our customs, our traditions. We've had funerals here at the chapel. But, you know, you ask me how am I going to be buried? I'm being cremated. That's my choice. But everybody has their own. You can do whatever you want. Bury yourself in the Cadillac and go to Kansas or wherever. These are the stories I hear. I want you to mark this verse down. Isaiah 64, verse 6. A, a verse that's always floored me. Our righteousness, listen to what Isaiah says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Listen, I don't care how good we are. And there are some great good people. I need Christ, you need Christ. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. I need salvation. I need to come to the cross. Religion will not save me. Religion will not save you. If you look at the Hebrew, this filthy rag is the minstrel Period rag. That's how filthy it was. Notice verse 20. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Satan, his time is up. He was defeated at the cross. But he's going to get as many as he can. Revelation 20 hasn't come yet. Satan is doomed. His demons are doomed. And so is mankind without Christ. Hell, Sheol, Hades is waiting. And then the second death, Revelation 20, the lake of fire. Notice verse 21, prepare slaughter for his children, the offsprings of Satan, because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. Satan's doomed. He just doesn't know it. And a lot of people just don't understand. I'm not that bad. I don't serve Lucifer. I'm not that bad, Pastor Bob. I'm a good guy. I wonder how many good people are in hell today. Are we born again of the Holy Spirit? Now, we have two choices in this world. Number one, we can choose heaven or hell. Or we can choose good or evil. Or we can choose right or wrong. Or we can choose Lucifer or God's Son, Jesus Christ. I have a free will. You have a free will. We have choice. And so we come to the conclusion of Isaiah 14. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to finish off with this. So Ezekiel chapter 28. I know who he is. I know his place. I know his ministry. He's a fallen angel. He was created for worship, obedience, and service to God. But he took it upon his own in Isaiah. I will, I will, I will, I will. Five times. And what did God say? No. Jesus in his humanity. Now, Matthew 3, he just got water baptized in the Jordan. John sees him coming, and he says, Behold, a Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is getting ready for his public ministry. Three and a half years. But he goes into the wilderness. He prays and he fasts. The devil comes. And I want you to see this this morning. Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world, 
but he comes back every time. It is written, it is written, it is written. The Word of God. Don't ever go in there on your own and trying to take the demons out. Plead the blood of Christ. Plead the Scriptures. You have power in the blood. Listen, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Satan tempts Jesus three times. He's in his humanity. He's all God. He's all man. But he's in his humanity. Study Gospel of John chapter 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's called the three temptations of Christ before his public ministry. And when he had fasted, listen to this, 40 days, 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. In his humanity, he was tired. In his humanity, he was hungry. In his humanity, he thirsted. He was a man. He took on to become one of us, to identify with us. Verse 3, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if, very important here, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, if you look at the emphatic Greek, and I'm no Greek scholar, all these are in my lexicons, the word if is also since. Since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and he said, this is the first time, Jesus says to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. First scripture that he receives is Deuteronomy 8.3. Not by bread alone shall man live. Now I need substance just like you need. We need physical food, but we also need spiritual. I'm often reminded of the story. Uh, remember when Elijah uh, was fasting and he was away and he had nothing. God sent a raven and fed him. God will take care of our needs. Not by bread alone, Deuteronomy 8.3, shall man live. Then verse 5, then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him again, if or since you are the son of God, throw yourself, for it is written. Now Satan quotes, he shall give his angels charge over you. He's quoting Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. Satan was challenging Jesus at the cross. He was challenging him. You don't have to go to the cross. You're the son of God, the savior of the world. Turn the Stones into bread. I mean, turn to water, literally. The sand, turn it into water. Throw yourself down. Your angels will catch you. The demons like to play with your mind. In Psalm 91, it says, In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Go ahead, prove. Prove that you're the incarnate God. Jesus doesn't have to prove it to him. He doesn't even have to prove it to us. And yet the scriptures declare it. All we have to do is accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Notice now, as we continue, verse 7, Jesus said to him, It is written, this is the second time, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And so Jesus goes to the Word of God again, Deuteronomy 6, 16 this time. Deuteronomy 6, 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again in verse 8, the devil takes him up to an exceedingly high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. This is Lucifer. I will give you the world. He wants to stop him from going to the cross. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays three times to the Father. If there be any other way, take this cup, this cup of death, the cross, take it away. If not, let not my will be done, but let your will be done. Jesus went to the cross for you, for me. It's beautiful when you begin to think of this now. Let's, let, we're going to finish it off here pretty, pretty quick. Verse 9, excuse me. Verse 9, let's read it again. All these things I have given you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. And here's the third aspect. 
for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. He's taking it out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Fear the Lord and worship Him. Notice that they all came from Deuteronomy. They all came from the law. Jesus first quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, then He quotes Deuteronomy 6.16, and then lastly, Deuteronomy 6.13. The word Deuteronomy in the Hebrew, it translates, these are the words. Also, it's in reference to the second law. I found that interesting. If that's the second law, what's the first law? He's talking about the Pentateuch. He's talking about the five books of Moses. What is the second law? This. The Pentateuch. The five books. Deuteronomy was part of it. What is the first law? Remember the Pharisees came to Jesus. What is the greatest of the commandments? Number one. You shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, everything that's within thee. Love God. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, if you don't love God, if God is not in you, if He's not leading you, guiding you into all truth, if the Holy Spirit is not working in you, I, I trust me, you're not going to love your neighbor. Well, Pastor Bob, you don't know my neighbor. I don't care. Jesus died for him. Oh, but that neighbor, that dog, oh, God. You should see all the, you know, little sizzlers they leave all over my yard. Love your neighbor. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, everything that's within you. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Hey, that family from our church that drove all the way to Houston. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Praise God. Let's finish this off now. In verse 11, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. <laughs> Always use Scripture, church. In James chapter 4, verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. But I want you to remember this. He will come back. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Plead the blood of Christ. I've shared this with you many times. It happened last night. Every time I'm putting a study together, the demon activity just starts, my mind starts to rock, and I mean, things are happening. I have to have worship and praise. I have to have messianic worship and praise. I have to have the Word of God. I'm working on my text, but I have to have it in here so it goes in here because the devil's come. And then last night, 12 midnight, I'm printing out the study. My printer wasn't working. I almost called one of the guys here from church, but I didn't think Scott would appreciate me calling him at midnight. It was dying. I said, Lord, I need this study. I prayed. God took care of it. Once it, the, the machine caught up, the printer caught up with my computer, it made six sets because it just kept coming. I said, thank you, Lord. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Know your enemy, guys. Know your enemy. He's alive and well. And there's a battle for you. The Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren. He does not like me. He does not like you. Pray for that family. They're not married. 18 years. Demons are after them. They need to come to Christ. Honestly, I would tell them, go get a certificate Get married, come back here, I'll bless the marriage for you. The devil is in a search and destroy mission. 